at a few more words next week and a few more words the week after that. And I, what I hope you'll do is you'll take your own notes in your Bible, in a notebook, in your own heart, that you'll take your own notes and that you will put these things together in their entirety by being able to recall the individual words because each one of these words is, I mean, honestly, there's so many words here that have such tremendous fullness. We're going to have to go to a lot of other passages to, to be able to see the fullness of these things. But when you see what God is wanting to accomplish through the statements, it'll really, really encourage you that God wants you to have a, a relationship with Him that is based upon His desire to have a relationship with you. This is the key to Christianity. The key to Christianity is not that men would try to attain to God through their own efforts, but that men would understand that through His efforts, God has reached into our lives. And that what he wants us to have is not the best that we can do for him. But that what he wants for us is the best that he can do for us. And there's a Now, by the way, it does change the way you live your life. It does change the way you relate to other people. It does change the way you go to work. It changes the way you play ball with your son. It changes everything. But again, God is not interested in you trying to justify yourself through your works. He wants you to be justified through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through what God can do in your life with such great power. And we're going to see this together this morning. The great power of God changing our lives. That's the blessed beginning of 1 Peter. So let's just start right in verse 3. Again, I just want to focus in this morning. We don't, don't worry, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. We're going to look at all of these, but I want to focus in this morning. I really feel the Lord have us to focus in this morning on verse 3. And this, it begins with the word blessed, right? Blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first word here is blessed. Now in your, in your English Bible, the word blessed is a pretty common word. But the Greek behind this word blessed is different than the one that's behind the word that you typically find. When you read, let's, let's, for example, if you keep your ribbon here, take your ribbon, put it here in 1 Peter, go back to a place that probably everybody recognizes the word blessed, and that's, it's at the beginning of Matthew, right? It's often called the Beatitudes. Again, I'm, it's kind of a strange nomenclature, but that's how many people know it. So go, go to me because it starts with blessed, 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 right? Jump, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. It says in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, just to set the context. Our Lord Jesus and he, and seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain. And when he was said, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 11, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice, be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now what you see, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven, 
all begin with the word blessed. And in this case, in this passage, in Matthew chapter 5, that word blessed each and every time means perfectly happy. That's what it means. Perfectly happy. And what God is saying is perfectly happy. So you can just say it if you want to. Perfectly happy are the poor in spirit. And again, we don't have to, boy, now I just really want to go through this together. When Jesus begins teaching the world, when Jesus begins his public teaching, he begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Not blessed are the obedient, not blessed are the religious, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know that there's something wrong in their own hearts and lives. Blessed, perfectly happy, that's the starting point. You wanna know the starting point of having a blessed life, of having a joyful life? The starting point every day, by the way, is to know that you are not. That's the starting point. Every single day, I am not powerful. I am not great. But my God loves me. My my God loves me. In fact, we're going to see together this morning, in spite of me, my God loves me. And loves me so much that he gave his only begotten son for me. How great is that God? That we would recognize our own weakness. That we would recognize our own frailty. That we would recognize all that we aren't. And be able to look to the God who is all of these things. So that's what that means. Perfectly happy. Now, flip back. If you kept your place, flip back to 1 Peter chapter 1 again. Because the word blessed here in 1 Peter chapter 1, the Greek word behind the word blessed here, actually has the idea. Now, by the way, this, this word is only used eight times. We're not going to look at, I was going to have you look at all eight of them with me. Uh, you can look it up, look it up for yourself, and you can see that what I'm telling you is true. But blessed, in this case, what it has to do is it has to do with this. Listen. It has to do with adoration, worship, and praise. Adoration, worship, and praise. And so it says is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the idea isn't perfectly happy, although God is perfectly happy, but that's not what's being said here. What's being said here is this. At the very introduction of this book, what it's saying is, God should be, deserves to be, and in Peter's mind, is going to be worshipped, adored, and praised. And he's going to tell you why. If you want to see this, I'm going to, you, you can just write this down. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read two of the verses. In Mark chapter 14, verse 61, it says, But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him. So they're, they're, they're basically trying to find out who Jesus is. Again, the high priest asked him and said, Art thou the Christ? The son of the blessed. This is a remarkable statement because what they're saying is the whole world worships this one God, the true and living God. There are many false gods, but the Hebrews understand that there's only one true and living God. And what he says is this, are you claiming to be, art thou the Christ, are you the Messiah, the son of of the blessed? And the answer is yes. Yes, I am the Christ. Yes, I am the Son of the One, listen, that receives and rightfully receives the worship and adoration and praise because he deserves it. In Luke chapter 1, verse 68, Luke chapter 1, verse 68, it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Again, God is being worshiped, praised, adored because of his goodness to men. 
Now, the, what I want to do, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, I just want to take a couple of minutes. I want you to take these words with you. I really hope that you're, that you're paying attention to the words themselves because you're going to find as when you put them together how significant this is. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to. Now, what God is saying here, we're not going to look into the word according to. You understand the phrase according to. But what it's saying is this. We're going to praise God because... He has done something. We're going to worship God because he has done something. Do you know, do you have any idea uh, how much uh, demonic worship there is throughout the world just so that there will be no hardship in people's lives? In other words, all throughout the world today, there are people that worship false gods and demons to appease them. And really what they're hoping is just leave us alone. Don't bring difficulty and hardship into our life. And if this is your understanding of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you do not know the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember as a, I remember as a, uh, a boy, um, uh, my dad, um, uh, we were working on some, my dad did trapping when I was a boy. Trapping, okay, which means you catch these animals and, and you sell their fur. I'm not here to discuss what you think about that. I'm just telling you that's what he was doing. And I remember him getting his, uh, and there's lots of different traps. Some of them will take limbs off, you know what I'm saying? But he was working with one. It wasn't a very big trap, and it, and it, it was small, and it snapped, and it pinched his finger. And he said this phrase. He said, oh, God really got me good that time. And I remember, I, I didn't know God, and, I, and my dad didn't know God. But I remember thinking, what a strange phrase. God really got me good that time. But see, my father had grown up in a household where that was the mindset of what God was like. God was keeping score, and God would basically, you know, zammy, you know zap or whammy you if you were doing the wrong thing. And that's, but that's, listen, listen, that's a popular opinion of God in America. If there's a God at all, he's a petty God who's, who's looking forward to any, any opportunity at all to reach out and, and smack you on the back of the head. But that's not God. That's not who God, God is slow to anger. God is gracious and merciful. And so what I want you to understand is, it is important that when you leave here today, that you recognize, listen, God should be adored. And I, what I mean by adored, I mean it literally should bring you to tears to think about how good and great and loving God is. And, but, he, but he doesn't want you to adore him just because he's there. He doesn't want you to adore him just because he's strong enough to create a universe. He doesn't want you to adore him just because he's almighty. He wants you to adore him because he's worthy of adoration. And he is worthy of adoration. And that's what we're going to see. So what it says is this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to, because this is true. Because this is the quality of our God. Because these are the characteristics. You know, I, I, we don't have time to talk about this this morning. But what God loves is because of who God is. Do you understand? At the root of everything that is done around you by God, at the root of it is not some, just some mindless um, force. There's a God who is a very real person. Because he's a real person, he has things that he really loves and desires. Because he has things that he really loves and desires, he purposes or wills to do certain things. His will is based upon his love. His love is based upon his purpose. And because of what he has purposed, because of what he wills to do, he tells us through his word, he promises us. So you can take the person of God, 
and have the pleasure of God, and then the purposes of God, and lastly, the promises of God. But when you believe the promises of God written in the Word of God, you're not believing words on a page. God is not asking you to to believe words on a page. He's saying, I promise you this because I will to do this, because I desire to do this, because of who I am. So God is not worshipped simply because of what he does. God should be worshipped because of who he is. But because of who he is, he does wonderful things. It is the goodness of God that causes us to worship him, not the power of God. Listen, let me me explain something to you. Satan is more, Lucifer, Satan, much more powerful than you and I. If you were here in the Sunday school class, uh, John was talking about, in, in Daniel chapter 10, in Daniel chapter 10, an angel is speaking to Daniel, and he says, I was coming to, to, tell, to, to be here with you, and on the way here I was opposed by a demon, and we were in a fight, and it was pretty significant, so much so that Michael had to come and be there with me, and now he has basically given me the opportunity to come through here, come through here and be here and speak to you. Now listen, God does not have to use any of these angelic beings to do any of this. But John made this perfectly clear. We know that the one speaking to Daniel in chapter 10 is not Jesus because nobody could have stopped him. You see what I'm saying? No demon could have stopped him. You, what you need to understand is this. There are, beings around, there are beings, actual beings, invisible beings, that are around us that are far greater and more powerful than you are. But you don't worship them. You want to know why? Because they're not good. Because they're not worthy. And, and by the way, if you worshiped an unfallen angel, a holy angel, you know what he would tell you? Don't worship me. He'd say, don't worship me. I'm just a servant. I'm a created being just like you are. I was created much more powerful than you are. I was created with much more glory than you have right now. But I am just a created being just like you. You want to worship one? Worship the creator. Worship the one that made all of us. And by the way, I am not nearly as good as he is. At one point, they're going to walk up to the Lord Jesus and say, good master. And And he turns to the person that says this and says, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. And listen, understand what I mean when I say this. You've done good things. I know you have. I've done good things. I did good things before I was saved. Not many, but I did some good things before I was saved. We can be kind to people that we like. Yes? No? Right? You're walking down the street, you're walking down the street, and there's somebody sitting there, and they, and they, and they have no money, and you walk by, and you turn back around, or maybe you see it coming, and, and you stop, and you give them some money, you talk to them, you make eye contact. By the way, one of the things that you find is people that live on the streets, people don't want to make eye contact with people that live on the streets. Because when you make eye contact with somebody, you have a tendency to see who they actually are. Now listen, listen, our God is a God that makes eye contact. Do you understand? Our God is not ashamed to make eye contact with everybody. Our, because our God actually cares, not only does he care, he knows everything that's going on in your life. And he wants to make this kind of eye contact with you. So according to, this is what we're going to get to right now. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord. And I said we weren't going to talk about according to. Look at the, okay. Anyway, according to. But according to what? It says according to his abundant mercy. According to his abundant mercy. Now, the word abundant is exactly what you'd expect that it is. It means much, great, many, large, excessive. That's the idea. But let me show you a couple of verses that will help you to, you might want to turn there. They're very close to each other. Turn to Matthew, again, Matthew chapter 14. Turn to Matthew chapter 14. You turn quickly, I'll drink water. Matthew chapter 14. 
This word is a very common word, this word abundant. It has many, many translations used in many different ways in our English language. 365 times it's found in your New Testament. And I'm just going to show you two of them. Aren't you glad? Two of them. Okay. One's in Matthew 14, verse 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. The words together. Great multitude. And was moved with compassion toward them and healed their sick. Great multitude. That's the idea. So there were so many. Now, by the way, look up here for just a moment. Do you know how, do you know how many people, do you know how many people Jesus healed when he was on the earth? And this is the answer. All of them. All of them. Everyone that he ever came into contact with, no matter what their sickness was, it didn't matter whether it was biological, it didn't matter whether it was mental, it didn't even matter if it was spiritual, he healed every one of them. That's amazing. Unbelievable. By the way, and, and when he did it, he didn't do it. And if I were doing it, I just got to be honest with you. I mean, there are a couple hundred people in this room, right? If I were going to heal everybody in this room, this is how I'd do it. You're all healed. Let's go to lunch. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus didn't heal them that way. Jesus healed them one at a time. He did not have to heal them. Listen, listen, this is so important that you understand this. God has the power to touch all of our lives at once if he wants to, but he doesn't want to. He wants to touch your life personally. So when Jesus healed the great multitude, he healed the great multitude one at a time. It got late. When he was doing this. And again, I've said this many times, but if I were doing it, I would say, well, it's 830 at night and I'll still be here in the morning if you care to come back. But I'm going to bed now. But not our Lord Jesus. He continued and continued and continued. Listen, I tell you, it's such a tremendous blessing. As long as there was someone there to be healed, the Lord Jesus was there to heal that someone. Great multitude. Go to chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Interestingly enough, by the way, you can find this all the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 30. It says, and great multitudes came unto him, having with them. Now, by the way, now in this, in the first case, Jesus saw the great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and healed their sick. In the second passage, it says, and great multitudes came to him because when he saw them, he helped them. This is what happened. People started to realize if he can help them, then I can bring people to him and I bet he'll help them. Even if he didn't just walk into the room full of people, I bet if we bring people to him, he'll help them too. Now that's what happens in verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 30. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them, so they brought those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and what? And he healed them. So now what we find, again, same word, same word. Now what I want you to see is this. God is going to do something because of his abundant something. And we're going to see that in just a moment. But when you see the word abundant, recognize that what it means is a great multitude. So God has a great multitude of this. Now turn back to 1 Peter. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant what? Mercy. According to his abundant mercy. Mercy. Praise God for his mercy. Praise God for his mercy. You know, there's a passage I want to show you. Man, I'll tell you what. It's in, in my notes. This is the passage. In my notes, it's Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 80. Now, just let that sink in for just a moment. And just think, I, I had to change it. Okay? 
because I thought people would get up and leave before I was done, okay? Luke chapter 1, but I do want you to turn there. Luke, to, turn to Luke chapter 1, and we won't do all 39 to 80, but I, you ought to go home and read all of it yourself. You really need to go home and look at Luke chapter 1, chapter, uh, verses 39 through 80. Now, this is not even the Lord Jesus. This is John the Baptist. Okay, what we're going to be seeing is God at work in the life of, of before John the Baptist is even born. So at least turn to 39 with me. 39. We'll read a little bit, and then we'll jump ahead and read a little bit more. Okay? So let's start. In, I'm going to read it. I'm, not, I'm going to try not to say too much because I think it kind of speaks for itself. But I am going to point out something as we're reading through. We're looking at the, the mercy of God. So verse 39. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. And Mary arose in those days and went unto the hill country with haste unto the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias, and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe, this is John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is it this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For lo, as I heard, soon as I heard the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ear, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. By the way, there ought to be a lot more leaping for joy in Baptist churches. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. This is, by the way, this is both a blessing to Elizabeth and a blessing to Mary, who's still going. Remember, for the rest of Mary's life, she is going to be thought of by many, and she's going to have it cast at her by many that she has an illegitimate son. Because Jesus is going to, it was, she's found pregnant with the Lord Jesus before she's married to her husband. And it, because the Holy Ghost has come upon her. And by the way, again, we don't have time to look into this, but he asked her first. Before God gave her the Lord Jesus, he asked her, are you willing to be this woman that would do this? And she said, let it be unto me, thy handmaid, according to thy will. I'm glad to do, God, whatever you'd have me to do. But she's going to live with this for the rest of her life. But right here, while she's going through this, God says to her, blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. This is unbelievable. So this is Elizabeth, who has John the Baptist within her, filled with the Holy Ghost, prophesying that exactly what God said is going to happen. But what I want you to notice is this. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden, for behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. He that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. For his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath holden his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. This is wonderful. Now again, for the sake of time, turn to verse 67. Verse 67. And I'll just keep reading there. I'm just going to go back to reading. And his father, Zacharias, this is John the this is John the Baptist father, Zacharias, 
And his father, Zacharias, filled with the Holy Ghost, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. By the way, this is that word blessed, right? Worshipped, adored. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And has he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all of them that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Now this goes on and on. Well, let me just keep reading. That he would grant unto us that we, that we, being delivered out of the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender Mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sat in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Amen. Now, listen, this is John. The, this is just speaking of John the Baptist and the mission that God has given him. But did you notice over and over and over again that, God, listen, God sent forth his son to perform his great mercy. Not justice. Not, not justice. There is a justice. If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, then all that's left for you is justice. That's all that's left. You, listen, this is, this is God's promise to you. If you reject Jesus, God will judge you fairly. But you cannot stand before God in your own holiness. You cannot stand before God in your unrighteousness. You cannot stand it. What you find, if you, go back to, if you go back to Cain, when Cain is judged for his killing of his brother, this is his statement. My, my punishment is more than I can bear. It isn't more than he deserves. He doesn't even think it's more than he deserves. But he knows this. My punishment is more than I can bear. God, listen, please hear me. God in His mercy has given us His Son so that none of us would have to stand before Him in our own righteousness. That's why Jesus has come. Now turn back if you would. Again, we're just looking at these words together this morning. Turn back if you would uh, to the passage in 1 Peter. According to His be abundant mercy, He hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, here's what it says. According to his abundant mercy, he hath begotten us again. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean he hath begotten us again? What does it mean to be begotten? How many of you have been begotten? Raise your hand if you've been begotten. If you didn't raise your hand, you don't understand what it means. Let's start again. How many of you were born? How many of you were born? Raise your hand. If you were hatched, raise your hand on the other side. Okay? So, all of you were born, right? All of you were born. Now, what he's saying is this. According to his abundant mercy, he hath borne us again. And this is a remarkable and significant, important 
thing that God wants us to see here. If you want to see how this works, and you do want to see how this works, go to John chapter 1 first. We're going to go to a couple of different verses in John, but you've got to go to John chapter 1 first. This is so critically important to an understanding of what it really means to be born again, what it really means to be a new creature. And it's completely misunderstood even in most churches. John chapter 1. And what we're going to see, if you want to see how this, how this comes into being, uh, let's, go to, uh, let's go to verse 6. Let's go to verse 6. John chapter 1, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. We just got done looking at his birth. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light. This is speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He, the Lord Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Then we get to verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now look at verse 13 which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. Now look at this verse. This verse is so critically important. Here, here's what this verse says. Born, not of blood. You cannot be born a Christian. Not of blood. Do you understand? Kathy and I have four children. They're all from our blood. Okay? They are, they, they are our children. We have four children. And None of them were born again, saved when they were born. None of them were born Christians. They were all born normal humans like everybody else. They were born sons and daughters of Adam, and they have the same flaws. I raised them, okay? They have the same flaws that all of the rest of us have. In other words, they behaved a lot like mom and dad, okay? That's, what they, that's how they were born. So it says, not, those that are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. You can't make yourself a Christian. Do you understand that? Uh, you cannot be born a Christian. You cannot make yourself a Christian. But notice it because it goes on. Nor of the will of man. So nobody else can make you a Christian. Listen, this is really important. You can't be born a Christian. You can't make yourself a Christian. And I can't make you a Christian. And even though there are people in religious authority that will tell you that they can. Nobody can make you a Christian. No one can make you a new creature except, the verse ends with it, what? But of God. This is what it means to be born again. What it means to be born again is for God himself to make you a new creature. For God himself to give you a new life that only God himself can give. If you want to see that being talked about, go to uh, chapter 3. John chapter 3. Probably many of you recognize that we would come and look at this. John chapter 3. Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus. This is in uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Nicodemus, Nicodemus knows there's something different about Jesus. He recognizes this. He sees something different, and he knows it. He wants to know more about it. Uh, he's a Pharisee, and they're rejecting him. As a group of men, they are rejecting him. And so he's not allowed to talk to Jesus, and he knows he's not allowed to talk to Jesus, but he needs to, and he wants to. So in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees 
named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night. And he came to Jesus by night because he knows he's not allowed to come talk to him, but he needs to talk to him. Something within him is telling him, I know we're rejecting this one, but there's something about him that's different, and I need to meet with him. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he understands what's going on. Look, look up here. Nicodemus understands what's going on. He's like, I don't remember my first birth very well, but I'm pretty sure I can't do that again. That, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen again. Can, how is this possible, this thing that you're talking about? Now, what you realize is this. Nicodemus doesn't know. He thinks he knows. He sees something about Jesus that is different. And because of his religious training, he thinks he understands God. How many people go to church and because of any religious training, they think they understand God? But you don't know God till you meet God. Until God makes the change in your life. Listen, we've had a lot of people join Tidewater with a, with a testimony of salvation. And in order to join Tidewater, you and I have to meet. We have to meet. We have to spend a good period of time together. We have to talk about how, how you were saved. What you're, but here's the thing. If you go to church long enough, you, knew, you learn all the right words. So you can have all of these wonderful right, right phrases, and you can tell another person, this is what's happened in my life. And then, and then, at some point after coming, after being here for a little while, they started to realize, I don't have this. I have what I thought was this, but I don't have this. I don't have this kind of a change in my life. And then they actually meet God. Then they actually humble themselves and say, Lord, I need to know the truth. And God, through his word, praise God, will show you the truth. Again, God is not willing that any should perish. He wants everybody to know the truth. So if you'll just ask him, he will tell you. If you will humble yourself, he will show you. I can't show you anywhere. I can just keep pointing you to him. But eventually, you're going to have to meet him in order for him to change your life. But when you meet him, he will change your life. And you won't, I'll tell you, when people who are really born again are really born again, it changes everything. Again, let, you know, Joe, Joe Rundle is now living on the West Coast, right? He's out in San Diego. They've been out there for, I'm really bad with time, a year probably, right? I mean, it seems like two weeks ago they left. But they've been gone for a long time. Remember now, Joe came here. Uh, for those of you, some of you, many of you know Joe. Joe and, and his wife, Eureka, they came here, right? They sat uh, about where the hands are sitting right now. Uh, they were here for a while. Uh, not long after they came, uh, Joe came to see me because he just kept wrestling. You know, I mean, he would, he'd, been, he'd been to some of the churches. Some of you guys have met him in other places, in other, even in other countries. You know what I'm saying? And so he had come, and, and he, but he kept coming to see me saying, Pastor, I just have no peace. I just have no peace. I don't have any victory in my life. And this is all I can say. Joe, one of two things is true. Either there's sin in your life that you won't repent of or you're not born again. One of those two things is true. And now we had the tent meeting. You know, we had the tent meeting. It was, what, four years ago now, whatever it was. It, in fact, it was, the, it was the last night of the tent meeting in the, in the morning. It was, it was Sunday morning, the last day of the tent meeting, right, of a, of a three-week tent meeting. And remember, we gave the invitation. He, he got up, and he started to walk down the side, kind of like Patty did. And he started walking down the side, and this is what he was saying. My pride, my pride, my pride has kept me from God. I must be saved. We went back into my office and God saved him. Changed his life. Now, I say this because 
Not that, not, but probably six months later, maybe six, seven, eight months later, walking. Now, every, if you're, if you do you remember Eureka? Raise your hand if you remember Eureka. Very loud woman, wasn't she? Always talking. I didn't even know if she had a voice for a long time. You know what I'm saying? Just a sweet, quiet little woman. Just a wonderful young lady. So, so we, were, we were walking by, and you know, you walk down, and you shake people's hands, you say hi. And some people you don't spend a lot of time saying hi to because you know they don't want to have a conversation. And so I walked by her, and I took her hand, and I said, good morning, Eureka. And I started to walk past her, and she, she, I'm not exaggerating, she gripped my hand with both hands and pulled me back and pulled me down close to her and said, I'm so thankful for what God has done in my husband's life. She said he tried for so long to be a man that he could not be. But see, when Jesus saves you, he changes everything. Now, Joe's not even here, and he's still in one of the tech circles. He's in the tech circle that he was before he left. And he still regularly puts something into that tech circle and still regularly rejoices in the goodness of God. But he rejoices in the salvation that Jesus gave him, not in his service for Jesus. Do you understand the difference? Too many people talking about all that they do for God. I don't care about all that you do. If you do anything really for God, we'll see it in your life. If you understand what I'm saying, if you have to talk about it, you probably got a problem. Really, honestly, what God wants you to have is the joy unspeakable and full of glory just being in the service that he would have you to do because of how great he himself is. And this change took place in Joe's life. This is what God wants to give us. Now turn back with me if you would. No, actually, we're in this chapter. Stay in the chapter for just a moment because I'm going to read a little bit more in this chapter and then we'll be done. Go down to chapter uh, 3, verse 12. Because he doesn't understand, right? Nicodemus doesn't understand. Verse 12, Jesus says, if I've told you earthly things and you believe not, he starts talking about the wind and stuff, right? And he doesn't understand. He says, if I told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. This is our Lord Jesus speaking about himself. And as Moses was lifted up, Excuse me. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, talking about his crucifixion, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is what God wants to do. This is the truth. Now turn back. We'll close. And I know I've been all over the place this morning. I recognize that. I hope you take the meaning of these words with you, though, as we go. So now, with that in mind, let's go back to chapter 1, verse 3 again. And we'll just close by looking at it one last time. And again, this is really important. It's going to be really important. We're really building something to something beyond this. But do you see together this morning the abundant mercy of God reaching into mankind to rescue all of us from ourselves? Blessed be the God, again, Worshipped, adored, worshipped, adored, and praised be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Not unto your own vain dead hope, not unto your dead works, but unto a living, now by the way, understanding the word hope, unto a living expectation. This is what God wants you to have. He wants you to wake up tomorrow morning. He wants you to go to lunch this afternoon with a living expectation because you are a new creature. But here again, notice at the beginning of this book, what God wants to do at the very beginning of this book is the same thing he wanted to do in the book of James. And that is this. What do you really have? 
Do you really have this? Listen, listen, I mean this. I, I know it sounds like the right thing for a pastor to say, right? You have no idea, honestly, really, I don't, you don't have any idea. You don't have any idea how much I don't want this to be a religious thing in your life. Are you born again? Have you received the abundant mercy of God to change your life? If you have, then rejoice. Right? Literally. It literally, again, the word rejoice means jump with joy. Rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why? Because Jesus loves you. And you say, but this is going on in my life. And this should be my question. Do you think that changes the love of Jesus at all in your life? By the way, let me tell you this. Whatever difficulty you're going through, it's not an accident. God has purpose in it. I would go so far as to say this because he says this. He sent it. He sent it. And he sent it for good reason into your life. Listen, he sent it because he loves you. He's not going to get you out of it because he loves you. He sent it because he loves you. You can trust the God that died for you to do only good things in your life. This is the way God wants you to understand this. Again, as you look at this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because of what Christ has done for you, because he laid down his life, shed his blood for you, and rose from the dead, you, listen, have newness of life. If, if you have received the Lord Jesus, if you have truly believed on his name, and if this is true, then the newness is in your life. And you know it, by the way. I don't have to, um, you know, one of, the, one of the disappointing things I find about many ministers is many ministers try to convince people that something is true in their life that isn't obviously true in that person's life. If you're a new creature, I don't have to tell you. You'll tell me. If, if you know, there's a hymn we sing, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. But does he live within your heart? If he does, praise God. Really, honestly. And if he does, you're going to see, we're going to see, again, going forward in this, we're going to see how living even in this present wicked world, still living in this Adamic body that we have right now, that we can live a life with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Stand with me if you would.